Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we've been doing a series called Prayers to the Creator for over two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Obviously not every week over that span, but in the last few programs of that series, it seems like you're finding fewer and fewer of that kind of prayer as we move through the prophets in the Old Testament. Yeah, Scott, the Psalms had the most by far, which isn't surprising. But as we got into the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, there were only eight. And in all the minor prophets, I found only one, which was in the book of Jonah. And that prayer was uttered by the crew of the ship Jonah was on, men who didn't even know who Jonah's God was. So wait a minute. If you're saying there are no more prayers to the Creator after Jonah in the Minor Prophets, that means there are no more prayers to the Creator in the Old Testament. And that is correct. So Scott, do you have an idea of how many prayers to the Creator I found in the Old Testament? Mm, I'm thinking around 50? Very good. The number was 49. Ah, how perfect. Seven times seven. (laughs) Yes, how about that? However, I'm certainly not suggesting there's any significance in that number. Remember, what I'm calling a prayer to the Creator was my own definition. There's no biblical definition that we went by. I simply defined a prayer to the Creator by two criteria. First, it had to be words addressed to God. That made it a prayer. Right. And second, in that prayer, God was identified as the Creator in some fashion. So, 49 prayers to the Creator in the Old Testament. Now we are continuing on into the New Testament, right? That's indeed what we'll be doing in today's program. Okay, so the first one would be in Matthew. Wrong, my friend. (laughs) Uh, Mark, then. Wrong again. Really? (laughs) Uh, How about Luke or John? Surely there's a prayer to the Creator in the gospel somewhere. Well, Scott, according to the definition we just described, no, there are none in the gospels. And to me, that was very unexpected. Well, me too. But, Dr. Scripture, I know there's at least one prayer to the Creator in the next book, which is the book of Acts. Oh? And which one are you thinking of? Well, it's shortly after Pentecost. Some of the apostles are being persecuted, and the church offers a great prayer to the Lord. I forget exactly how they put it, but they definitely call upon the Creator to hear their prayer. I know the one you're talking about, Scott. You're referring to the prayer recorded in Acts 4, verses 24 to 30. That's it. And that is the first prayer to the Creator in the New Testament. Hmm. Now, you've already given a brief idea of the context. So let's read the prayer by itself, and then we'll consider more details related to the circumstances of those offering the prayer. So go ahead and start reading, Scott. Acts 4, 24. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, thy servant, did say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. 
And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. While thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. Okay, so there are several remarkable things to point out about this prayer. But first, it's clear they are calling upon the Lord, acknowledging specifically that He is the creator of the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Which just about covers everything. (laughs) Yes, I'd say so. And my Bible denotes that phrase as being a quote from the Old Testament. The thing is, as I recall, that description of God's creative work occurs in more than one place in the Old Testament. So I looked up all the places where that specific phrase occurs. Scott, can you guess where any of them are? I'm pretty sure that's what it says in the Ten Commandments, where God tells the Israelites to rest on the Sabbath because God rested. Very good. And that's the first place it occurs in the Bible. It's in Exodus 20, verse 11. Go ahead and read it. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. A very familiar text that is often cited as verification that the Genesis 1 account of creation means just what it says. God created everything in six days. That is, six rotations of the earth and on that basis told his chosen people to follow his example and rest on the seventh day of each week. Now, the next place this phrase occurs is in Nehemiah, and this is a great prayer to the Creator. In fact, the prayer of the church that we are studying in Acts 4 is pretty much patterned just like this prayer of Nehemiah. It's recorded for us in Nehemiah 9, 6, and it says, Thou alone art the Lord. Thou hast made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. Thou dost give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before thee. I remember when we did one of the programs in the Prayers to the Creator series on that prayer of Nehemiah. Me too. It formed the beginning of a prayer of confession and acknowledgement of all the works of God on Israel's behalf. But let's move on. The next place I found the phrase we're looking for is in Psalm 146. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Okay, Psalm 146, verse 5. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Now, those are the exact words repeated in Acts 4.26. So, we could say they were quoting Psalm 146. However, the reason I wanted to look at all the different places in the Old Testament that used that same description of God creating everything was to show that it was used often by the Israelites to identify their God, in contrast to the God's little g of the nations. And interestingly, in each section of the Old Testament scriptures, that is, the Pentateuch, the historical books, and the Psalms, we find the Lord identified that way. So then, it's not surprising that Jews, who were just converted from Judaism to Christianity, identify the Lord just as their ancient predecessors did. And there's one more occurrence of the phrase, God, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And that one is also in the book of Acts. It's not in the form of a prayer, but it is used to distinguish the gods of the pagans from the true God, the true creator. It's in Acts 14. What's going on here is Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey, and they visit a place in Asia called Lystra. Let's pick the narrative up at verse 8 of Acts 14. And at Lystra, there was sitting a certain man, without strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze upon him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. And when the multitude saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out. And saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Okay, so we'll stop there at Acts 14, 17. Notice, what Paul was telling the people was the true creator was responsible for the miracle they had seen, right in the middle of him preaching the gospel to them. It all had a profound impact on them. They couldn't deny what they'd seen, and many believed what they heard and became disciples of Christ. So, with that background of the use of the phrase, when we come back to the prayer of Acts 4, I just want to point out one more thing. Remember Acts 4.24 said, And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is Thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Well, what was it that the people of that fledgling church heard? Well, it was after Peter and John had been preaching the gospel and healed the lame man at the temple in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. And because of that, a huge reaction by the crowd caused a disturbance, and the rulers and elders of Israel had Peter and John arrested, and they warned Peter and John to not speak any more in that name. So, it was after Peter and John told the congregation what had happened that they all lifted up their voices to God, the creator of heaven and earth, and pointed out the fulfillment of David's prophecy in Psalm 2, which says, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. 
So notice from their prayer, they're pointing out at the very beginning the power of God in creation, and then they're also, in a sense, reaffirming the power of God to fulfill his promises, to fulfill prophecy. In other words, God is in control of creation. He's in control of history, the flow of human history. It's amazing the glory that they're attributing to God in this short, simple prayer. And so then with the confidence that God was so great that he created all things and brought to pass events predicted a thousand years earlier, did they ask the Lord for protection from their persecutors? No, that's not what they asked for. (laughs) They, with great boldness and complete trust that all these things were unfolding according to God's preordained plan, made this request. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence, while thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.